Tuesday the 20th of May 2008. During my second year of teaching, Tuesdays were never a day I looked forward to. A full timetable of lessons, year 8, break time, year 9, year 11, lunch, year 13, year 7. Nothing short of a roller coaster of emotions, stretching my ability to pitch my geographical knowledge at the right level with very little time to breathe. But today was different. I was expecting a call after the final school bell about the outcome of the final interview that I'd had the week previously about joining the Teach First student recruitment team. A pivot in my career which would signal the end of two years of teaching. I just had to get through period five, which thankfully was with my tutor group, a group of amazing bright sparks who sadly for me always had PE before arriving in my classroom. 31 sweaty teenagers, as eager for the final bell to ring as I was, for that day at least. Two hours later, I was sitting in an empty classroom and about to hit print on my resignation letter. Another chapter in my career story was about to begin. When it comes to your career, there really is no one formula for success. And if someone had asked me 20 years ago what career I would be working in today, I doubt I would have said employer branding, a career that didn't even exist at the time. Some of the best stories I've ever heard didn't follow a plan. They simply embraced the journey. And that's why I've created this podcast, to share the many career stories that have shaped the people behind them, and to encourage future generations to trust more in the process, instead of stressing over getting it right the first time. I'm Steve, and welcome to the My Career Story Podcast. So, after a hot and sweaty bank holiday weekend, it's time for another episode of the My Career Story podcast. If you haven't tuned in before, then I'm Steve, your host, and as you've just heard, over 11 years ago, I left the classroom after spending two years of teaching geography at Loxford School of Science and Technology in Ilford, Essex. Now, my career as a teacher was both tiring and inspiring, teaching over 500 young people as I trained towards my teaching qualification and the certificate of which I found amongst the physical memories, which also included some of the lovely letters written by my students later that term when I left, that I carry around with me um, in my desk. Teaching is such a demanding and sometimes thankless career, but experiences that I had on the Teach First programme, whilst certainly testing my patience, uh, will always be something that I treasure. And similar to last week's podcast at this time of the year when young people across the UK are collecting their exam results, this time being their GCSEs, uh, it's part of uh, my career that I take time to reflect upon. Geography wasn't the easiest subject to teach. As a subject, it's not a compulsory choice beyond the age of 14, although I think it should be. And although it develops a broad range of skills that are transferable to the world of work, there aren't really that many careers that as a subject teacher you can link it to directly. However, something it's always encouraged within me is the art of being curious about the world around me, which in turn is probably why I still ask a lot of questions about why things are done the way that they are, and whether there are better ways of doing things, like every good entrepreneur, I suppose. Which is also something that I have in common with today's guest, Aaron Carty. Entrepreneur and business owner Aaron Carty, one of Essex Police's youngest ever police officers at 18 and a half, left to pursue his dream of working in the media industry, creating films and marketing campaigns. Having no money, qualifications or experience, this was not an easy feat. As the international Beyonce impersonator, 
Aaron Carty burst onto the scene in 2015 on Britain's Got Talent where he wowed the judges with his crazy in love single ladies routine with his six female dancers. Having been a police officer for five years really got the press's attention as did his fame when he arrested the now late Jade Goody. Since Britain's Got Talent, Aaron has performed all over the world including New York, Las Vegas, LA, Seychelles, Berlin and Sitges, having performed for Coca-Cola and even international royalty as well as three UK tours including performances in front of 20,000 people at Trafalgar Square as part of Pride in London and the explosively amazing Mighty Hoopla Festival with The Grand. The Beyonce experience is exactly that, a full Beyonce concert experience including choreography, an army of female dancers, couture costumes and over 40 of Beyonce's best love hits from Destiny's Child to Lemonade. I caught up with Aaron last week as we were both burning the midnight oil. Right, okay, and something that isn't in the bio there is that Aaron and I used to live together and I've got Aaron sat with me right here today. Hello. Hello. It's nice to see you. <laughs> so good, so good. Been a long time. I know, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, it's a long day, as you know, it's, a, it's the end of a Monday and we're still here at like 10pm. Well, 10pm isn't really that late for entrepreneurs like you and I, is it? It's really not, but look, we've got a great view of the city, you know, we can have a good catch-up as well, so it's all good. Yeah, it's good. Right, so Aaron Carty, what is your career story? So, my career story is definitely not something I think you're going to find on a website, or well, definitely not in a book. Um, I have a very checkered career past, but in a, in a good way. Um, you know, I had a very traditional start in terms of the school I went to, we're always preparing for university, you know, um, especially when kind of when you hit um, sixth form. It was just assumed that you were going to go to uni, very much so. So, and I did. I got into kind of three universities, and I, you know, people were telling me, you know, oh, it's going to be such, you're going to have a great experience. You know, it's really going to help you understand what it is you want to do. And I kind of said, well, I kind of know what I want to do. And they said, oh no, but when you get to uni, then you know, after your degree, then you kind of find out what you want to do. And that really scared me because I thought mm. to myself, hold on, I'm going to spend three years doing this degree and then I'm going to find out what I want to do. Um, and it really kind of just switched my mind and I thought, no, that's, that's not what I want. That's definitely not what I want. Um, so I actually kind of continued the process of, you know, planning to go to university. But at the same time, I uh, applied to be a police officer. Yeah, which um, is when we first met. It was, yeah. yeah I was. I think I was training. Mm. Was I still training? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was still training. 2006? Six, yeah, yeah, maybe five, six. Mm. Gosh, it was a lifetime ago. No, it, <laughs> it, it literally Let's is. over that, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, very much so. So, and I didn't tell anyone that I'd applied for the police. Um, and literally both applications were going in at the same time. And it got to the point where I got into uni, but I was going to have to wait another 18 months to... I know I was going to get into the police. Um, and I took the risks. I told my family and friends, I was like, look, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm just going to find a job um, in the hopes that I get into the police. What was their reaction? Everything hit the fan. It really I did. I can imagine. I've met your mum. <laughs> there you go. Lovely lady. Because I know you're listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can imagine. I think okay, it's one of the things I wanted to just pick up with what you're talking about is that a lot of young people that are making their career choices now, when they're looking at the different options, their parents are a huge influence over that. And with the best of intentions, they might not necessarily give the answers that are the best answers to give. Oh, definitely. And I think even their friends, you know, you... You, you do the same things that your friends are doing. It's quite nice to, you know, go to different campuses with your friends and find out, you know, which one's right for you. 
Um, sometimes none of them were angry. Um, but you know, it was it was it was good for me after the initial shock. I think um, I think it was my granddad that actually sat me down and he said, "You know what? You do whatever it is you want to do." Good. And That's he, good. Do you know? And he said, "If it all fails, you can still go to uni. Like you can still go back and do these things. Just because you're not doing it now doesn't mean um, you're not going to be able to do it in the future." Mm. And did I mean? Did you have any fear mm. of failing? At that point. Oh, yeah, all the yeah. time. Yeah. I still do. Every single day, I have the fear of failure. Good, 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 good. Every single day. It doesn't go away um, at all. Um, but I think for me, it was just something I just wanted to do, mm. for better or worse, if it was a failure. And, you know, just having that support, saying, do you know what, just do it, and if it does fail, you can always go back to it. Yeah, exactly. Where, and, like, how, how, where do you get that strength from to look at the world like that and take those challenges on because all the time that I've known you you've been somebody that has inspired me by the way that you like just go for it um yeah I can answer that very quickly it's just naivety (laughs) (laughs) it really is I sometimes do look back and think if I knew what I knew at the time of starting it what I know now would I have done it and the answer is probably no Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that is me acting on impulse as well if I want to do it, I do it quickly. Yeah. A, so I don't change my mind, um, but also because I feel so passionate about it at that time. Yeah. And for me, passion is a big thing. I've definitely walked off jobs with clients because I just haven't had the passion in it anymore. Mm. But I think it's better for the project and for me, um, 100%. So, you know, if you've got that impulse, if you've got that um, passion, do it. The knowledge can come later. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that. I think that passion piece is really important. It's definitely something that I have spotted with you over the years as well. Oh, that's good. That's good. Good, to know. good self-awareness yeah, there. Thank so you. carry on with the story there. So you've um, got yourself lined up for the police. Yeah. So I was, you know, again. So I actually went to work for a small publishing company in my hometown whilst I was waiting to get into the police. And again, I didn't tell them that ultimately I was going to be leaving to hopefully start this career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got in, um, and I was actually one of the youngest, if not the most youngest, police officer in Essex because I was exactly eighteen and a half when I joined and that was the joining age and literally like two or three days beyond that I, I was in mm-hmm. and so began that and again that, that naivety really came into play because I didn't really know what I was going to be doing you know you know what police officers do but actually behind the scenes the training was intense it really was um, but you know what that gave me the best J-curve life experience that I could have had as an 18 year old you know from the second I joined the police, the first couple of days, I think I just, what I saw in that first week put about 10 years on me. Mm. It really, really did. But for the better, you know, mm. I, I remember going back after having three months on the beat, as it were, and talking to all the other people that I trained with. Um, and they'd say things like, oh, yeah, I did my first traffic ticket the other day. And, you know, I arrested someone for shoplifting. And I just sat there with my jaw open. And I was like, are you kidding me? I've had four dead bodies, three suicides, two major car crashes, and I just thought, story of my life. Do you know what? I would get this experience over a few parking tickets, but it, it, it did work out overall. Um, I loved being a police officer. I really, really did. But I did then get to that point again where I thought, I love this job, I love what I'm doing, but it's just not me. Mm. And I felt that you know, police officers are absolutely amazing. The people that are doing that day-to-day job um, you know, it's the most thankless job in the world, and they're doing such a great job. But I just didn't fit in. 
you know, I did the job really well and I have, I still have friends now from the police, but I was just very different to them. I think my way of thinking was very different. And that's when you put yourself among people that you would never really um, socialise with and work mm-hmm. with, that you then really define who you are. And you think, I definitely think different to you and different to you. And you craft your own thought process there. And in crafting that thought process in the police, I definitely thought, this is what I want to do. Mm. Um, I feel I'm more of a creative person. I'm not having any input in that at all. Um, so I just told them I was going to leave. And they actually said to me, you can do, you can go into any department you want to. Just don't leave. I said, okay, great. I want to do CID. Probably because I used to watch The Bill growing up. But, um, <laughs> it, and it was uh, out of uniform. Um, oh yeah, I can you know? I, in my head, I start, started thinking, oh, what can I wear to work if I work for CID? I need to buy new clothes. What colours am I going to wear? What colours are people wearing? Probably the wrong questions I should have been asking myself. Um, can envisage that. I can really see that. I well. think I had a mood board and everything. <laughs> it would really wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, really wouldn't surprise me. However, it was probably the worst thing I could have done because it very much put me in an office. Mm. Um, so there I was you know, hearing on the radio everything kicking off and everything happening and there was me just in the office just in case something major came in um, so I left you know and I left with I, you know no money you know really saved um, no real no qualifications because I hadn't gone mm-hmm. to uni um, and I thought what is it I want to do and I said to myself I want to get into media I want, that's what I, I think I've always wanted to do but coming from such a small hometown uh, of Ipswich and Suffolk, I didn't really know how. Right, I didn't yeah. know, you know, how do you get into TV? Mm. Um, and it was that classic line, oh, you need to know someone, or you need to do this, you need to do that. And I just thought, I just can't do it. So I completely ruled it out from the beginning. Um, more for me. But, you know, everyone gets in at different, get, you know, gets what they want to do at different times. So I then thought to myself, how do I get into, how do I get into this industry? Um, and, you know, I, I kind of took a few steps back and, you know, jumping out of the police, I had to find a job. So I started working for a uh, finance company, which, okay, nothing I wanted to do. But I thought to myself, I just need time, A, to keep me busy, um, being, bringing money, of course, bills don't stop. But it then just allowed me to kind of sit back and think, okay, it's an easier job than the police. It's only a nine to five. So literally, I'd finish work at five, go home and start planning. Um, I'd be going out to networking events every single night, meeting different people, trying to just understand who I could meet, where I could help out and things like that. Um, but it all came back to actually, um, when I was, actually, when I was in the police, um, I had a few friends that worked in TV, um, through the game, I just met, mm-hmm. you know, just met through networking events. Um, and I used to go on, go along on my days off. Um, and just kind of be there really just to kind of absorb and just visualize it and think is this an environment I can see myself in and the answer was absolutely yes yeah. it really was and it actually got to the point where um, I'd uh, start um, just helping out and it would be everything I was carrying the bags I was making the teas I, I just liked just being there it was just so yeah. much fun and again so different to my to my day job in the police as well so that gave me a little bit of a spark to think, you know, just being in that environment made me think, yeah, I, I, w- I want to do this. I want to do this. It's really interesting you say that because you mentioned that the when um, when you were in the police, you got to a point you didn't feel like you fitted in and then you got into where you wanted to be mm-hmm. all along. And there's the kind of something there that's talking to belonging and feeling like you found something 
and your world is kind of complete in a way. What is it about the world of media that sets your heart alight? Do you know it's the people? Okay. Everyone is so different. Everyone thinks so differently. So it's not just about you bombarding in with, I've got this idea, I've got these creative ideas, I know what's best for this product or for this marketing campaign. You've really got to listen to everybody. Um, and everything is done as a collective. Mm-hmm. Nothing is done as an individual, you know, as an individual piece. And I absolutely love that because it really challenges me because I am someone that will sit in a room and think, I think your ideas are rubbish, mine are better, we should leave with mine. But it's not until I start actually listening to people that I think... Really? That's not you. <laughs> I'd always say I'm good at the team as long as I'm the leader. <laughs> um, but actually, no, it's, it's, it's very true. And then actually they say, no, Aaron, your idea is not the best and here's why. And having to deal with that from many very, you know, from a variety of different people really strengthens actually my own ideas because actually other people's ideas are better. So I need to then think, oh, I think my ideas need to be better. I need to start thinking about things more. Um, and you're always learning. Mm. And for me, I think that's where a lot of people definitely have a lag in their job is that they get so comfortable with the job that they can do it with their eyes closed. And then nothing else. It just kind of fades away. We're actually, especially in media, especially because it's just so competitive anyway, um, you're always having to learn new things. You know, we're constantly learning different things and just trying to update what we do. Mm. Um, and I think that's very, that's very much kind of where that comes from in, in that sense of belonging, that people and, you know, if you're communicating with them, if you're talking with them and trying to do something um, as a collective, it, um, it's only going to be a better piece of work. Yeah, absolutely. There is something really powerful about the um, diversity of thought that you get when you get a load of different people around the table and like you're saying your idea you might think it's the best one and then somebody else has got one and you go oh I wish I'd had that idea or we could change that or we could input that bit but it's also incumbent as well on you being in a working environment where there is a culture where that is acceptable oh 100% there are there have been times in my own career history where I've sitting, been sitting in a room and I might have had a better idea than the other people in the room but I've not felt that I could share it um, and that's a big theme around inclusivity in the workplace at the moment about people feeling that they can share their ideas even though they're not the most senior person in the room so it's great to hear that you've had that experience from a very early stage in your career I have and again I, you know I'm, I wouldn't say I'm you know I, I think People are quite surprised when I say if I walk into a room of new people, I'm quite nervous, I'm quite shy sometimes. Um, but actually, I think that as I'm, I'm very much more an observer. I'm very much someone that will listen to other people first before I, you know, you know pick my aura and start talking as well. But that only helps, you know, and if everyone does that, then you give that, you give everyone that equal footing as well. Yeah, you do. I think that's where we're similar as well. It's something that I always used to get feedback as I would sit and take a lot of information in during a meeting and then drop that one thing at the end that everybody would be like, oh, yeah. I, I, I do that yeah. without fail every day. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Just be able to summarise for people as well, you know, that, mm. that really helps. So you've got, I think you've got, like, what I've always seen in you is you've got a very kind of astute awareness of who you are and what you want to get out of things. So where have you taken that passion in media now to? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll start by saying that's something that's grown over time, you know. And I think I still, in some ways, have an identity crisis now. 
But I think <laughs> they really do. But I think that's just because... We'll come I'm, to your alter ego in a second. Well, we'll, we will get there. <laughs> but again, I think that's because I'm always thinking about who it is I want to be and am I coming across as someone I want to be? Because I'm very, very conscious in you know, owning my own business. I don't want to... I don't want to have that professional face. When people say, oh, I'm very professional, a lot of the time what, what they mean is they're not being themselves. And I'm trying so hard every single day to be my true self, um, but still professional as well. I don't want to put on an act, ever. Um, so, you know, um, going back to the career um, itself, finding that environment, again, gave me that passion to think this is something I want to do. So I kind of stuck out that um, finance job for a year. And I gave myself a year because um, that was the time period I could go back to the police. So I thought, okay, let me give myself this year to kind of save money, get things ready, start things up. Um, and it, I, was, I was very lucky in some ways um, because I was networking pretty much every night, not seeing friends or anything. And I started to meet people. Um, and I met people very similar to me who kind of wanted to do something, but they just didn't have the right skill set. But I, that's where I actually met um, my business partner, Daryl. Um, he had his own um, video um, company for weddings, um, but still worked in Matalan. Um, so he was only doing it part-time. And I said, you're so skilled. You're so fantastic. I could pretty much pimp you out. And I thought, <laughs> it was very much that thought process. I thought, I could get him video jobs. Let me, let me try and do that. Um, and I kind of met him for lunch and I started talking to him about it and I said, look, um, I think I could help you. I think I can get you jobs. He was like, okay, well, I'll think about it. That evening he called me and said, oh, so I've quit my job at Matalan. So yeah, just let me know when the first job comes in. I thought, what? Hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't quit, don't quit your job. And it, again, that kind of fired me on to think, right, I need to, find, <laughs> need to start finding the, these jobs. And I started working for an online um, LGBT TV channel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this was back in, gosh, what, 2007? Um, they weren't the best, let's put it that way. It didn't last very long. Um, but actually, you know, for the three, four months I was working with them, that really gave me the, just that little bit of um, knowledge I needed and know-how um, to think, how can I do this myself? Mm-hmm. And I very much did. I kind of spun Daryl the, you know, when they went under, I spun Daryl the kind of, the, the vision of, we could do this so much better than they were doing it. And he said, you know what, I think you can, we can. So we did. Um, by then, I'd, you know, I was continuing my networking, so I was kind of changing my story slightly and saying, well, I have this video agency, I can do video production. And someone turned around to me and said, oh, I need a videographer tomorrow. Can you do that? I was like, yeah, sure. They said, right, it's at Channel 4, so be there for 10 a.m. I was like, yeah, no problem. Ran out of the room, called Daryl, and I was like, are you free tomorrow? He's like, oh, I'm not, I've got this. I was like, You're, you, you need to come. He's like, okay. Um, the camera he had was the wrong camera. So this was like 10.30 at night. I was calling around trying to borrow this camera um, from, from anyone, anyone. You know, this was before the days of social media. You can't put on Facebook. Anyone got a camera I can borrow? You know, these are phone calls at half 10 at night. This didn't go down well. We got it. We ended up at Channel 4 that morning. It was a free job. Um, they just needed someone to film. I was like, yeah, sure, we can do that. Um, and we did it. And we did that a couple of times. And then... He puts on to somebody else in the department who needed a video and they paid for that one and the next one and the next one. And very, very slowly we got kind of got more involved with them. And then they understood who we were. You know, mm-hmm. we were just two guys really wanting to, you know, create content. Yeah. And Channel 4 really helped us. They said, okay, look, we're going to, we're going to help you. We're going to give you opportunities. 
and that's exactly what they did. And also, they also crafted us as well in terms of this is what the expectation of what we wanted, you know, mm-hmm. um, in terms of content. And um, we kind of took it from there. So, you know, we started doing a lot more corporate jobs for people. On all the time we were learning, you know, working during the day, in the evening, we were figuring out how do you do this? How do we do that? Um, and at the same time, we weren't really bringing a huge amount of money. Definitely not enough for us both to, you know, be sustained on as well. So... And that was really hard, thinking, if I get a part-time job, I'm not going to be able to continue at the rate that we're going at in terms of growing and meeting people and being promised stuff and promised jobs and promised projects that never came off. But, you know, we were still still going through that process. Um, and it was a hard time, you know, probably two, three years of real hard graph. And I'm talking hard graph in terms of we can't pay our rent every month. Um, we can't pay our bills, you know, our mobile phones were getting cut off at different times and we were borrowing money just to, you know, do things. Um, we weren't going out, we didn't have holidays, you know, it, when you talk about sacrifice, it was everything, you know, mm-hmm. it really, really was. Um, and I lost a lot of relationships through that, you know, um, boyfriends, um, friends, even family, you know, because I just wasn't, I just weren't seeing people. Um, but I stuck to my guns, you know, and it's quite nice to be able to sit here 10 years later and say, oh yeah, it's all fine now, you know, we're doing well. I still have the fear every day, but, you know, at the same time, it's going well. Good, it's really good to hear. I think, like, that 10 years on story is just a really positive message for me as somebody who's starting out now, Um, but also as well for anybody else that's listening, is that, that kind of visionary piece of actually becoming a reality. And what that then affords you. So, what kind of what what have you been able to do now that you're in that position? And how do you dedicate time to building relationships with people in your life and making sure that you're making time for Aaron as well as the business? Do you know what? It's it's one of those things where it always kind of comes back comes back full circle. Um, one of the biggest jobs we've got was actually through someone I used to work with in the police, and their sister was working at Coca Cola at the time. And needed a video and we did that one video um, which turned into video after video which then turned into campaigns um, and projects and mm-hmm. we were, we were, we've been working for coca-cola now for seven years um, but again so it's it, that's been quite nice to be able to you know that's because I never burnt those bridges I still you know I kind of went back to people and said I can kind of have a bit of a life now I'd love to meet up I'd love to talk you know I'd love to just catch up on what you're doing again mm-hmm. Um, and I think I did that with everyone. I think I had even a list of people where I was thinking, I need to build this relationship. I need, you know, I, I really miss them as a friend and, and things like that to, to do that. Um, and it's really weird, even though I've got my own business now, I was able to do normal things that people that were employed were able to do in terms of clock off at a normal time and go home and and and, and, and not do extra work until 11 o'clock at night you mm-hmm. know, and actually go and see people. Um, the only difference is I'm so much more in control of my own time and for me, that's so important, you know, especially in a creative environment. If I don't want to go to work on a Monday morning, I simply don't go. And actually, that time at home, sitting doing nothing, is so good. It normally gets to about 12 o'clock and then I race in thinking, oh, I've got so much to do. I'm so buzzed, you know, to you know to catch up with all the projects. And vice versa, you know, I'll, I'll be at work at 7 o'clock in the morning sometimes and then finish at 3 because I think, do you know what, I've done enough today. I want to go and do something else. But having that flexibility within your own kind of mindset is so important. And, you know, having my own business forwards me to 
to do that. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's times where we're working till one o'clock in the morning because we're filming or we're up at three o'clock because we're then filming and then have to do a whole day. But that's okay because we love what we're doing. And it really, that again, comes back full circle to the passion. Mm. I recently had someone leave <clears throat> and in their leavers meeting, um, I said to him, you know what? You're so good at your job. Um, you come in every day, you do the job and you go home. But you're not passionate about it. So I think it's right that you leave and I hope in your next thing, you know, you're, you're passionate about the work and the content that you're creating. And he said, you know what, that's so right. And he didn't really know, he was like, I think that's the reason I'm leaving, even though he hadn't thought about it before. He said, because I love working with you guys. I just don't think, this is just not my passion. I want to do something else. And I said, good. You know, I'm glad you've come to that, you know, to that end. Yeah, it is, it is hard, especially when... We'll have gone through kind of similar experiences at school as well, I would guess, where careers advice is just rubbish oh, across the board anyway. People don't really know what advice to give you. It's all about networks as well, like you've said before. Um, and so you can just get stuck in a rut and just accept that that's what it is. Mm. Um, and unless you take the time to invest in yourself and think, like, okay, I like this, I'm going to explore that, and I'm kind of just going to keep developing and looking at where I might, my interest might go next, um, you're really going to struggle. Definitely. Um, you've got to, you know, and, and, you know, the advice I would always give um, now is don't be afraid to change your career path. You know, I've, I've gone around a few times and there's even more things I want to do. Um, but actually, it, it, it's when you've got that spare time. And I always ask myself every single day, do I want to be doing this? And I'm in a very nice position, you know, a lot of the times where I can look at a project and think, is this project right for me? Is this project right for the business? And if it's not, we say no. And being in a position to be able to say no and turn projects down because they don't fit where we want to go is so nice. And it's it's a real luxury. I know a lot of, you know, startups... The small businesses don't get that luxury sometimes, but when you get there, you you then need to understand. You now you're on a, a stronger growth rate, you know, because you're every single job you do, you're just getting better and better, and people are understanding. Oh, that's that's what you specialise in. That's what you. That's what you're known for. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Especially when we talk about brand. <clears throat> now I have a very very clear perception in my mind about what our business brand is. Our clients think completely something different. <laughs> so again, it's really understanding what do you think it is that we do um, and asking the clients that and, and really understanding is that mirrored or are we just seen as one thing? That's really interesting. What, what would you say is your brand? I would say my brand is a... Um, good question. What is my brand? No, um, I would say uh, you know, the, the brand as a whole is a digital agency that really looks at creating um, immersive and engaging content, which is quite broad, but actually we are quite broad because we do everything from mobile apps to video production to marketing campaigns, branding, websites, package design, you know, um, everything. Um, everything digital, I would say, but our clients may see us as, oh, you're just a video agency because that's all we've done with them. Um, or, oh, you just do social media campaigns or oh, you only do branding. And that says to me, oh, are we not getting the message out across? And the answer is we were getting that message across and everything's there and everything's very visible, but people are only taking what they want to hear. Oh, that guy can do a video. Great, get them in. Mm -hmm. 
they're not ready to it they don't want to explore they're busy doing their own thing anyway so it's really good to un- and that's why we have i think such a variety of clients you know we have startups um as i say we have everyone from startups to coca-cola you know to the london 2012 olympics you know we can't we, we can't put our clients in a, in a box um but again it's quite nice because those small startups keep us grounded as to the real value of what they see um what a video can do for a, you know, a brand new company where a, you know a huge company like coca-cola you know, yes, they know that video is going to be impactful, but they're also expecting it to be as well. Nice. Yeah. Like it. Definitely. But again, I did get to that point in my career where, you know, I was I was running a business, you know, and I was definitely at no point in my life did I turn around and say, I want to own my own business. It was not, you know, it's not something that I thought about. But again, that organic process of just letting my interests guide me and my passion guide me put me in that position. Mm. Um, you know, I started my business in 2008, you know, the same time as the, the recession. Not a great time to start a, a creative uh, company. <laughs> um, so it's quite nice to be able to sit here 10 years later, <laughs> um, you know, relatively successful with it. But, um, you know, again, it got, I got to that point where I, I, I felt quite itchy. I was running the business, but it was running the business, the admin side of it, dealing mm. with employees and accounts and everything. And I was getting further and further away from that creative process. Mm. Um, and I could feel it. Yeah. I could feel it. I remember going to my sister's wedding and seeing myself in the photos and thinking, wow, I look really tired. And I just stopped straight away and thought, nope, I'm not doing this. Mm. Um, it's affecting me physically now. I can, I can see that. Um, I lost weight, which was great. But, um, <laughs> um, probably not the best way um, and, and I think that's where I went on holiday I went to um, Sitges in Spain and with my friends and it was literally a getaway for a week um, but that was the first time I ever did drag and did Beyonce I wasn't waiting to go to this I'm so excited totally out of the blue you know I hadn't even thought about ever ever doing drag before and there I was um, in drag and I was walking down the beach and a lot of people were coming up to me and saying, oh, you're, you're Beyonce. Are you doing, uh, are you performing tonight? Nope. Nope. We're just here with my friends. You are lying. I've seen you <laughs> at house parties that we've had together where you've like cajoled a whole room around you perform single ladies. So there's an element of a lie there. I can smell a lie. Well, hey, look, if I'm dancing and then people naturally want to look around at me performing, <laughs> what am I to do? I do remember doing um, single ladies at... Um, Halloween house party dresses yeah, the Riddler. That's the one that I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah. Little did I know that I was going to be doing this, but um, it was literally that thing. I just, I was dressed in drag. Um, it got to the point where the organisers to the event actually came up to me and said, you've got to get on stage and do a song. I thought, no, I'm not, not doing it. I had zero dance training um, or anything. Yeah, I may know the video, you know, single ladies, but I think everyone did back in, you know, back then. Um, so it got to the point where they, I said, okay, I'm, I can't do it tonight. But they said, okay, come back on Saturday. Bring your friends. You can all come backstage. Free drinks all night. Just do one Beyonce song on stage. I was like, yeah, sure. The next day I thought, oh, gosh, I've got, I've got to do this. So I was sitting there on the beach thinking, what, well, how am I going to do this? I can't do my makeup. You know, we were using crayons, the, you know, during the week. <laughs> but what am I going to do? And this guy turned around to me and he said, oh, excuse me, I've just been listening to what you've been saying. I'm a makeup artist on Sky One's Modern Family, and I've just flown directly here from working. I've got my whole makeup kit. I'll come and do your makeup. 
was like, yes, please. I mean, it's not been it. It's never been as good since, you know, five years <laughs> on. Um, so he did my, he came to the apartment, did my makeup. We all walked down to the beach again. And honestly, if we hadn't recorded it, I couldn't have told you what I did. Because probably half an hour before we went to go on, they gave me two dancers to dance with. Half an hour before I went to go on, the organiser actually came up to me and said, you are an absolute star. Those dancers are abysmal. I'm cutting them. I was like, I'm going to do it on my own. And then I look out to the stage, and there's 10,000 people. 10,000? 10, 10,000 people on the beach. In stitches, where do you fit everybody? All on the beach, literally. I was like, oh, wow, I can't do this. Um, but I did. Um, that video um, went on YouTube. Britain's Got Talent saw that. Um, four months later, I was performing in front of Simon Cowell with a, a bunch of female dancers. So I didn't know how this, dad, this is interesting, because I didn't know how that got to there. There you okay, go, yeah, yeah literally so. from one YouTube video, um, I was on Britain's Got Talent, um, it was an amazing time, I really, really did. Again, uh, it just came at the right time where I was so worn down, worn out by the business, um, which was doing really, really well, but it was, you know, at the sacrifice of me, and I said no way, not at all. So just being able to have that something different and just you know have my other side of the brain work so this time this side can switch off did me absolute wonders mm. it really really did so for me i think you know beyonce saved me from creative suicide it really did um little did i know five years later you know i'd be performing ra- around the world um creating beyonce experience but uh, here we are <laughs> It's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to include some links and stuff um, <laughs> underneath just in the show notes and stuff at the end so people can go and have a look. But the work that you do is, is incredible. Thank you. Yeah. you. Again, it's one so of those, much fun. It, 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 do you know what? For me, it was so much fun. But it's now got to the point where I'm pretty much doing two full time jobs. Mm. You know, I'm now working during the day, going home, creating costumes, you know, creating new sets, remixing songs mm. to do different performances. Um, but again, I don't mind because I'm so passionate about both, yeah, yeah. and I just love doing, love doing both. Yeah, it's like an affair. It really yeah, is, yeah. And, and it is. I do have to now manage my time, but again, that's something having my own business allows me to do. You know, I don't work mind working a weekend if it means I can have an entire week off to concentrate on Beyonce experience, and vice versa. There's times, you know, I've just been really, really busy with Pride in the summer months. I've got like a month now of zero Beyonce stuff. Mm. So I put, you know, I'm full force heading into into Carb more than I ever would. Yeah. Um, because I've got so much passion to, to jump back at it. Yeah. And we, we were just talking about that pride piece before we mm. started recording, weren't we? So talk me back through that for the benefit of the listeners in terms of what the Beyonce experience has given you exposure to and what it's helped you to kind of embrace... Um, new parts of yourself maybe. yeah absolutely so the very, you know, the very first um, year I was doing Beyonce experience also I've been on British Got Talent so the profile was quite high um, and uh, Pride in London asked me to perform at Trafalgar Square which again is 20,000 people <laughs> um, which I did but it was when I was backstage at Pride I thought to myself we want to do I want to do more for this because I feel like we can do more and again having my experience within media I thought to myself um, I want to film this for them because if we film it, more people are going to see it. More people that need pride who perhaps can't get down to London and, you know, maybe there's not one close to them. Let, let's film it. And um, so for five years in a row now, we've filmed um, Pride in London um, for them as well. Um, but again, it really opened my eyes to, I want to give more. 
And if there's one community for me that really suffers, it's the LGBT community. You know, I'm, I'm part of that. And even growing up, I think it's taken me so long to do what I want to do. And in a way, my sexuality was holding me back. And I think sexuality does hold people back, um, either if they, you know, they don't know who they are yet. And if you don't know who you are yet, it's very difficult to put yourself forward in something so intense as a job interview. You know, you haven't crafted your personality if your sexuality is a, isn't part of that. And it's not about, you know, making, you know, your whole professional career around sexuality, but it's very much a part of you. And, you know, if you go into, an, you know, if you go into a, a company where, you know, they say they're LGBT friend, LGBTQ friendly, but actually you go in there, there's no support network, they're not giving you any advice. It's not very visible in terms of who else is kind of mm -hmm. openly out there. It's really <clears throat> difficult. Yeah, it is. And then it really speaks to kind of ideas around fear and uncertainty that feed into vulnerability and ideas of shame and stuff, which help, which kind of like take you back into places in your head, which you don't want to have gone back in. Oh, definitely. And you have to go in and out of the closet. I know the time that we were living together and, and I was teaching, like I wasn't out as a teacher. Um, and it's definitely one of my biggest regrets but it would have made life so much more difficult, especially because I was in just really coming to terms with it myself at that point. Completely. Um, and I think, as you said, you know, there's a lot of organisations out there that are very much, you know, putting the, the rainbow stamp on them for the month of Pride, but that's pretty much it. Mm. And, there's, you know, there's, there's a massive lack of, of representation there, I think. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, but that's why I started getting involved in, uh, in, in Pride in London, but also in UK Black Pride. So I've now volunteered there for this is my third year. Um, I'm now the head of marketing and it's a, it's a role I really wanted to go for because I think people weren't really understanding what UK Black Pride was and what that kind of stood for. But I definitely felt that, you know, my, my career path had put me in a position where I could really help them craft that message mm. um, and, you know, really get that message mm. out there to a community and also commercially to people who need to understand what UK Black Pride is and why it is so different um, as well um, and you know it's, it, and for me it's exactly that it's you know a very you know being black and gay myself I have a very very lived experience very different lived experience to you just being gay um, and I, I believe that that for me it needs celebrating but it's also too impor important to remember that I also go to the mainstream prides as well. You know, I'm the only act that performs at Pride in London and UK Black Pride. And for me, that's really important because it shows that the two festivals are very, very different, but also very, very needed as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it shows that there's a, 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 a gap there that can be bridged. Rather 100%. than one that just becomes a void that people don't talk about. Oh, that, completely. That people get misunderstood about and things. And so I think that's one of the things that I've maybe, I will admit, I've struggled to understand is why is there two? Yeah. So as a head of marketing for UK Black Friday, mm. what is the, the difference? Sure. So and um, why is it important? It's, when you think about something like Pride in London, I, I'll use an example. It's so big. It's so big. You are never going to be able to cater for every single different type of LGBTQ person that there is. You're not going to do it. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. um, you're always, you're never going to keep everyone happy. Um, so it's very, very, so, you know, when we talk about kind of race 
and then you intertwine LGBTQ into that as well, it's so unique that actually it does need its own events. Um, and it's all about celebrating that. It's all about celebrating those queer young um, people of colour um, who, again, haven't seen themselves represented um, kind of in the community. And that's not to say that mainstream prides are doing a bad job. It's to say that it's so unique that it needs its own event as well. You know, and we encourage everyone to come to kind of UK Black Pride as well um, to learn. Mm. Same that we, you know, we encourage our straight allies to come to Pride um, to learn and to celebrate in our struggle and to ensure that we are here and present. Mm. You know, we encourage everyone to come to UK Black Pride for the same reason. Yeah. That's actually a really good way of um, thinking about it, actually, because I think as well there's, there's a piece that people miss understand sometimes around the role of allies mm. oh, as well yeah. and the positive impact that they have um, and I know some of some of my best allies um, including Harriet when she, if she's listening um, who's an absolute superstar at waving the flag for us all as well and then kind of calling out and um, identifying behaviours that are not conducive to being inclusive. Oh, totally. Um, it's a really important part there, so it's, it's really good to see that you're uh, leading the, the charge on that. Do my best, but again, I think it, it all comes back to kind of passion uh, again, and kind of the freedom that my career path has, has given me. It's, it all comes, again, it all comes down to passion. Um, what am I passionate about? Where do I see my, my career going in the future? I really don't know. I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited that I'm going to, you know, expose myself to something very different and have a passion and a love for it and going to be able to grow something else in it. The only difference is now I've got a really, really great network behind me of people, um, a fantastic company with great people in it that really enjoy their, their roles um, within that. So, you know, and a lot of the, the people in, in CARB come along to my Beyonce shows. They want to film them because it's something different for them as well. So I just feel, you know, kind of each each time I'm growing something different and working with different people and partnering with different people and networking differently um, and challenging myself to meet very different types of people that have had different experiences to me, mm -hmm. um, I can only do more. Yeah. I mean, there's the, you kind of answered the last question that I was going to ask you before I wrap <laughs> up, but I'll give you a chance to answer it anyway in case you want to add something on because you touched on so many different things there. Um, what would you be your biggest piece of advice or best piece of advice that you could give somebody who might be listening right now and going, I haven't got a clue what I want to do? The biggest piece, piece of advice I'd give there is it doesn't matter if you do not know what you want to do. And actually, sometimes that helps, because sometimes if you think you know what you want to do, that's not ultimately it. You think you want to go to university, you think you want to study this topic, but do you know what that industry is like? Do you know what kind of people are in that industry? Do you know what kind of salaries you're going to be looking at getting? Do you know what that actual job is? Um, no, you don't, because by the time you get through your three, five or seven years, that job and industry is going to have changed. So I would say, actually, it's probably you're probably a, a bit more of a benefit if you don't know what you want to do, but you're following what you're passionate about. Yeah, yeah, I would completely agree with that, and that's the perfect place to wrap up your career story. 
So thank you very much for your time. It's been really great listening to you talking about this so passionately. <laughs> There's a word there that's going to be in the search terms there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but um, no, seriously, like, um, so pleased to see the progress that you've made and how everything that you've been working towards when we were living together 10 years ago yeah. has actually kind of come together for you. So thank you very much. No worries. I'm not going to go and um, walk the pugs, so... Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to put, um, as I said, links through on the show notes to various different pieces that we've been talking about now. Um, and I will see you all next week. Bye. Bye.